Hello, welcome to the Respiratory Care August 2023 Editor's Commentary and Podcast. This is Rich Branson. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. Thanks for joining us. This month's Editor's Choice is a randomized controlled trial of closed suction system with an integrated endotracheal tube scraping catheter by Carr et al. The authors randomized subjects to a standard closed suctioning or closed suctioning with an integral tube scraping catheter. The study objective was to evaluate the addition of ETT scraping on the duration of mechanical ventilation, time to first SBT, duration of hospital stay, and the number of ventilator-associated events. In a sample of 272 subjects, there were no differences in any study-important outcomes. They concluded that routine endotracheal tube scraping had no impact. Pacuto and Barra concur in an accompanying editorial, noting that ET tube scraping might be useful in the case of suspected ET tube narrowing or occlusion. They also note that this study was underpowered to detect differences in VAE occurrence. We've seen this kind of catheter before where you're able to extrude the endotracheal tube if there's secretions that are built up, but in a routine study, using it all the time, the advantages don't outweigh the additional costs. Miller and others report the findings of a feasibility trial evaluating outcomes of intubations by respiratory therapists. This prospective study evaluated 689 intubation events where the success rate was 98% overall with 86% of the first attempts being successful. They found that video laryngoscopy was used in two-thirds of the initial attempts and was associated with higher first attempt success. Over the last decade, this has kind of been a, a real paradigm change and how airways are, are placed. Adverse airway-related events were seen in 9% of cases, and arterial oxygen desaturation seen in 11%. They concluded that intubations by respiratory therapists had a high success rate that was comparable to other providers. Kuntz and Austin provide accompanying commentary, both CRNAs, suggesting that the turf war over intubation should be settled. Both of these authors are certified registered nurse anesthetists and advocate for a best practice approach that is monitored for quality care, irrespective of the initials behind the laryngoscopist name. They remind us that airway experts must also continue to maintain competency with the guidelines, techniques, and new devices. Stove and colleagues evaluated the measurement of SpO2 using traditional oximeter and two wearable over-the-counter watches. They compared the SpO2 readings from a standard um, fingertip pulse oximeter, so not the one we would typically use in the ICU. And they used it to look at routine pulmonary rehabilitation exercise in 36 COPD subjects. The limits of agreement showed significant measurement variance and tendency for these devices to be more inaccurate at lower saturation levels. They concluded that wearable devices should not be used to monitor oxygen saturation during pulmonary rehab, at least from a medical standpoint for diagnosis. Scott provides an editorial which notes, among other issues, the ideal study would compare the wearable oximeters to arterial blood cooximetry, but the invasive nature might reduce subject willingness to participate. He holds out hope for the promise of wearable devices in assisting and managing patients with respiratory disease remotely, but for the in the near future, using your Apple Watch or your Garmin Watch to monitor SpO2 in a patient during a six-minute walk test should probably not be done. Fazio et al. evaluated the work of breathing during proportional assist ventilation to predict extubation failure. 
This prospective trial evaluated 61 subjects who passed an SBT and were judged ready for extubation by the ICU team. Extubation failure occurred in 10% of subjects with half of subjects requiring additional respiratory support post-extubation. Total worker breathing was significantly greater in subjects who failed extubation. They concluded that the discriminative performance of PAV-derived total worker breathing value to predict extubation failure was pretty good, indicating that total worker breathing may be used to assess extubation readiness. This has been evaluated in the past with separate monitors, never as part of the proportional assist technique. Correa et al. evaluated the minimal detectable difference of the simplified functional upper extremity function test in adults with asthma and COPD. They evaluated inter-rater reproducibility, validation, minimal detectable difference, and simplified upper extremity function test and to characterize their performance. They compared data in 84 subjects and matched normal volunteers. They found that the simplified test was valid and reproducible while also being simple, quick, and inexpensive. Okazaki and others retrospectively analyzed subjects with COVID-19 receiving high flow nasal cannula following extubation over a two-year time frame. They evaluated the predictive accuracy of the ROX index at 0, 1, and 2 hours for reintubation until ICU discharge and compared the area under the receiver operating characteristic curve for the ROX index with breathing frequency and SpO2 FiO2 ratio. In 248 subjects, 44 received high flow nasal cannula and 12 were reintubated. They found a ROX index of less than 7.44 was associated with a higher risk of reintubation. Oshino et al. retrospectively evaluated the factors associated with prolonged mechanical ventilation in 170 patients with COVID-19 who received muscle relaxants and prone positioning. They stratified subjects based on ventilator-free days with less than 18 ventilator-free days defining prolonged mechanical ventilation. Overall mortality rate was 11%, which is pretty small for this population, and persistent viral shedding in the blood, high corticosteroid dose, slow recovery of lymphocyte counts, and high levels of fibrogen degradation products after admission were associated with prolonged mechanical ventilation. All these are pretty much surrogates for severity of illness in COVID-19. Fresnel et al. performed a branch evaluation to assess triggering capabilities of NIV and CPAP devices used in pediatrics. They varied tidal volume until a minimum tidal volume was detected by each device. Typically in these worker breathing studies, there's a a PMUS set or a negative pressure set or an effort set by choosing a larger volume and a faster inspiratory flow. But in this case, they slowly increased the tidal volume until the volume that was being withdrawn from the circuit triggered the ventilator. They found that the minimum volume ranged from 16 to 84 milliliters. And they concluded that some devices typically used at home, um, device level one and two, might be suitable for infants with their ability to trigger. Christensen and Schmidt performed a qualitative study of virtual consultation in 20 subjects receiving oxygen therapy at home to identify reasons for missed visits. Three main themes define subject response, limitations and vulnerabilities, independence and quality of life, and personal strategies. Subjects demonstrated the belief that virtual consultation was a valuable endeavor. This is particularly true in patients who are limited by their illness 
for mobility, don't have a car, um, or live in a rural area. And I think we'll continue to see more of these virtual consultations at home for COPD, rehab, and successful non-invasive ventilation and oxygen therapy at home. Wakefield and colleagues retrospectively evaluated cross-sectional diaphragmatic area in 14 subjects undergoing prolonged mechanical ventilation using CT scans. They concluded that serial analysis of respiratory muscle through CT scans can be used to assess respiratory muscle atrophy in ventilated subjects. Um, this is an interesting physiologic study. I'm not sure how practical it's going to be to do CT scans to measure respiratory muscle um, atrophy, particularly with um, the ability of point-of-care ultrasound. Willis and colleagues report the results of a survey regarding research in respiratory care. They survey was posted online and 82 were returned. Half of respondents reported research training at the graduate level. So this is kind of a select population. Willis and colleagues report the results of a survey regarding research in respiratory care. The survey was posted online and 82 evaluations were returned. Half of respondents reported research training at the graduate level. So this is a kind of a unique population among respiratory therapists. They found that the primary barriers for conducting research were lack of secured time for research, opportunities to participate, training, departmental support, and mentorship. They suggest addressing these issues to promote research within the profession. Lehman and colleagues contribute a short report describing the 3D printing of a reusable heat and moisture exchanger for patients with tracheostomy or post-laryngoscopy. The author developed this technique during COVID-19 shortages. Hansen Flashen and Acrivo contribute a narrative review on the use of non-invasive ventilation and the treatment of neuromuscular disease. The authors provide practical advice on interfaces, devices, and monitoring. Wheeler and Bullock provide a year in review on extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. They review the literature surrounding the management of mechanical ventilation, prone positioning, anticoagulation, bleeding complications, and neurologic outcomes for subjects undergoing ECMO, the papers that were published in 2022. As part of our research and publication in respiratory care initiative, Hess provides an overview of the research process. Miller provides a primer on how to initiate the research process, and Willis reviews how to formulate a research question. We hope you enjoy these research-related papers um, to help you with your own research and so that we'll see a paper of yours in the journal in the future. We appreciate your attention and your support. Thank you. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.